Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Well, happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to another episode uh, and show of the Service Legend Podcast. Uh, Nathan, so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Ryan, thanks so much for, for having me. Excited to be here. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Yes, yes, it's been a little while. Um, and um, one thing about you, too, is you're very patient as well. You're, you know, you're a patient person, you know, from what I can tell. So I appreciate that. Um no for those of you that don't know Nathan just yet, uh, he's a seasoned entrepreneur with a remarkable knack for turning uh, the mundane into the extraordinary. Uh, is also a distinguished uh, guest today on the Service Legend podcast. Uh, he's got a profound focus on the often overlooked aspects of business, which I like following him for uh, in, in, in his way of thinking. Uh, like bookkeeping, hiring, uh, Nathan has left in... Um, I would say a really a big mark on just entrepreneur and the landscape in general. Um, and if you're not following him or you're not tuned into what he's doing, you're missing out. Um, but notably, uh, he's co-founded freeup.net with uh, a mere $5,000 investment, scaling it to a staggering $12 million in, um, in yearly revenue before its acquisition in 2019. Today, he leads e-com balance and accounts balance, um, revolutionizing um online bookkeeping for e-com and digital businesses while also empowering businesses through outsource school, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Nathan's expertise in 700 podcast appearances make him a true legend in the world of service-driven entrepreneurship. And we're excited to delve into his insights today. Uh, man, so excited to have you here. Um, I wanted to kind of first ask you, uh, and I like hearing from everybody, it's kind of like a like an origin story, you know, if you will, like, um, you know, early twenties, maybe kind of like, just kind of like, woo, I'm like out of the minivan into the marketplace, going to figure things out, maybe out of college or, you know, whatever up until kind of like that first business, like what were you doing and kind of what led up to the first business? Yeah. So quick background. I mean, growing up, my parents always made me have a job. If I wanted something, whether it was a video game, a book, a car, I had to pay for it myself and I had to work for it. So I was working from when I was 15 up and I learned just so much about sales and customer service and reporting to a manager and all the things that you kind of learn having a job. And I also learned that working for someone else was just not for me. I hated it. And I got a glimpse into what the owners of the business were doing versus what I was doing as their, their low-level employee. So I always wanted to, to be an entrepreneur. And when I got to college, I started hustling. I started buying and selling people's textbooks, competing with my school bookstore. I created a little referral program, had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where... I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off and stop competing with their bookstore. So that was my first glimpse into to being an entrepreneur. And this was 2008, 2009. No one knew what Amazon was. No, being an Amazon seller wasn't a thing. There were no Amazon conferences or anything. And I had to be one of the first 1,000 Amazon sellers. I, I started off selling textbooks and I didn't want to get kicked out of college. So I pivoted and through a lot of trial and error, 
of different products and different niches, I came across baby products and baby products was a, a great industry. Everyone has babies. I, I just had one and I'm using a lot of the products that I used to sell, um, but it's a big market. They're easy to ship um, and people will pay high prices for them. So I started building this, this baby product business and I was drop shipping years before I even knew what drop shipping was. That word didn't even exist. I, I built relationship with all these US manufacturers. They didn't know e-commerce. I didn't know how to make baby products. And we had a great relationship. They would ship products where I told them to. I would mark it up. I'd make the difference. I'd, I'd run Amazon. And before I knew it, I was running this multi-million dollar Amazon business out of my college frat house, having one of the craziest times of my life, just partying, selling, making every uh, rookie entrepreneur mistake that, that people make. And the big thing that, that I struggled with was, was hiring. College kids were super unreliable. They were drinking on the job, smoking on the job. I remember knocking on people's dorm rooms, trying to get them to wake up to, to get to work. And, and finally I, I gave up and a buddy of mine told me about a VA in the Philippines and I hired my first VA, learned a lot about communicating with people in the Philippines and setting expectations and how to train them, how to keep them around, all the stuff that we teach at Outsource School today. And we built up this VA army for our Amazon business. Well, Amazon starts to get harder. More people start selling. Amazon's changing their algorithm. There's more gurus and courses and, and all that stuff. And we kind of see writing on the wall, even though we sold $25 million over seven years, we didn't see it as a, a long-term path. But all these sellers needed help. They needed to hire for their own business. So we started to offer all of our e-commerce virtual assistants to all these sellers. And that became FreeUp, a marketplace, a competitor to Upwork and Fiverr. We started off just providing e-commerce VAs, but expanded to to other other things as well, whether it's just digital, straight up Facebook ads or whatever. So we, we built up this marketplace and that was a lot of fun. It was our first B2B. We got to learn partnerships and podcasts and SEO and, and all the stuff that goes into a B2B that doesn't always go into a B2C. And we scaled that thing from $5,000, like you said, to that $12 million. But our claim to fame is we did all that with no US employees. We had thousands of VAs and freelancers on the platform, but my internal team was 30 VAs in the Philippines doing everything from sales calls to bookkeeping to customer service, you name it, all parts of the business. And we exited in, in 2019, right before COVID, which is a whole nother story uh, we can talk about. And, and that was a life-changing exit. And since then, we've been, my partner, Connor Gillivan and I, uh, who you should follow on LinkedIn, by the way, we, we're building a portfolio of different businesses. We have Outsource School that teaches people our hiring process and gives them our SOPs. We have two bookkeeping brands, Ecom Balance and Accounts Balance for e-commerce and non-e-commerce businesses that are a little simpler. And we're about to launch Trio SEO um, uh, blogging service because we always pump out high quality SEO uh, ranking blog articles for all our businesses. And we've been getting asked for years if we'll do it for other people. So we're going to test out doing it for, for other people as well in, in other businesses. So yeah, that's kind of where, where I'm at. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I love just trying things and building businesses and all the failure and success that, that goes with it. Yeah, I love it, man. It's crazy. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and they have a lot of similarities in their stories. Um, yours is interesting because it kind of sounds like Mark Zuckerberg a little bit. It's like in the college dorm room, created this business. Um, when you were doing that, just real quick before we go to some other questions, uh, that thought process, like when you were in, you know, that young in college, like, were you thinking like, I mean, cause you know, it was 08, you were saying when you were thinking, yep. yeah, yeah. So 08, which was kind of, 
you know, shortly after Facebook was kind of moving and shaking, did you see a lot of that happening in the marketplace before you were starting to like start your business there? Yeah, good question. I mean, back then we, there wasn't really any networking. Like the first five years I was an entrepreneur, I feel like I didn't meet a lot of entrepreneurs. Like I wasn't very active on social media. There were no conferences, there were no Facebook groups. So when we started free up, that's when I started to um, hopefully build my own personal brand, but also just connect with lots of people and try to learn from them. Um, but I was lucky to, to get some really good advice from my aunt who, who's an entrepreneur. And she essentially said, you're young. You can always get a real job. Like this is the best time to try to be an entrepreneur. You have no bills. You have no family. You have no responsibility. And so that's the mentality I took. And I had an internship my freshman and sophomore year of college. And my parents cringed when I quit that to focus on Amazon. Um, but I was making more money on my phone than, than I was like at the actual internship. And then even when I graduated, I had job offers. And looking back, it sounds silly, but at the time it was a, a big decision I had to make. Like, do I accept this job offer with health insurance and 401k or do I keep selling on Amazon? And who knows, they might shut down my account tomorrow. So it was a, a big decision that, that I made. And, and luckily I, I made the right one. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think the turning points when we're kind of in our early 20s or mid 20s or late 20s, you know, I see a lot of different similarities of, you know, successful entrepreneurs versus not um, on those those decisions right there, like that risk right there that you were taking, you know, and I love it. Um, when did you meet um, your partner that's like the SEO guy that you're mentioning? Yeah, Connor. Uh, he was in my business law class. He sat behind me. I posted on Facebook. I said, hey, I needed someone uh, for this Amazon business. And he was my first hire and one of the only ones that worked out. I didn't even interview him. I said, hey, you're hired. And on his first day of work, he said, by the way, I don't have a car. You have to come pick me up. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Why, why would I do that? But for some reason I did. And those those car rides ended up being great because to and from he was on campus. I was in a frat house. And on those car rides, we would just discuss life and entrepreneurship and growing businesses. And, and we just realized we, we had very different skill sets, but had a lot of the same values. And, and I think that's what made us really good business partners. And I made him a business partner in my Amazon business a few years later. Yeah. Interesting. I love it. Uh, relationship building, risk taking. I can already kind of see uh, kind of where you've kind of gone a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, service legend, we work with home improvement companies, concrete coating companies, painting companies. Uh, there are some power washing companies that we've worked with. We've done Christmas light uh, installation hanging, which has gotten kind of big. Um, there's, uh, you know, a lot of garage door companies that will follow us now uh, with uh, the relationship with Tommy and then um, some HVAC and, 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 and some plumbing companies that have come through actually. And what we were talking about before we got live was um, I've just noticed such a big influx of, service-based business owners um, being more open-minded to um, overseas staff. Um, I think obviously, you know, there are a lot of blue collar, you know, business owners, blue collar workers kind of come from that, you know, that, that kind of um, that class, if you will, in the, you know, in the country. And I think there's been a lot of negative connotations around it, but it's really starting to take off from my perspective. Um, and my question is, is um, if, if there's service business owners that are listening to this, whether they're live or on the replay, which thank you guys for being live. If you could, if you're live, if you could post in the comments, hashtag live, let us know that you're live. If you're um, on the replay, put in comments, hashtag replay. A lot of our listeners are um, are on Apple and Spotify. So thank you guys for listening over there as well. But the question is, is like, what, like, 
should they just um, dive into it like just completely? Should they just like, hey, I'm going to hire kind of an assistant? Um, if 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 they're thinking along those lines, like where should they start? Maybe. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, lots of people are, are trying BAs in our outsourced community. We have such a random assortment of businesses from your, your contractors to your lawyers, to real estate people, the e-commerce marketing agencies, obviously. Um, and everyone can be using virtual assistants. And we teach a lot, a lot of this at outsource school, but my favorite thing to tell people is start small and start with something that isn't going to negatively hurt your business. If it goes wrong, like for example, podcast pitching or lead generation. We have a podcast outreach formula that's really popular, but let's say you hire a VA five hours a week, five bucks an hour, 25 bucks a week to pitch you on podcasts, not going to cost you very much. And worst case scenario, they don't get you on any podcasts, but you'll learn a lot about hiring someone, working with someone, giving feedback, giving directions. And if it goes well, that'll give you more confidence to hire someone for a more important role and for more hours. And that way you're, you're not diving all in and say, Hey, I'm going to outsource my customer service. And I've never hired someone in the Philippines before my entire life. That's a usually too big of a jump. So start small, start thinking of things that if it goes well, yes, it'll help your business, but it doesn't go well. Yes. It'll, you'll lose a little bit of money, but it's very affordable. Um, but you'll, those lessons will be worth it and it won't negatively affect your business in a way that you won't be able to, to come back from. So start small five to 10 hours a week and, and you can always build up from there. Um, there's a lot of private equity coming into home improvements. Uh, you know, I think during COVID, um, well, you know, I don't think, but private equity really kind of changed directions a little bit. Um, from a lot of the investments that they were making and they went into home improvements in a big way. I mean, just incredible with garage doors, HVAC, especially garage doors and HVAC. I mean, the multiples that I've seen, I mean, I mean, you're talking 12, 15, up to 21 X multiples on, on EBITDA, which is, I mean, just incredible um, for, you know, a garage door company. But, you know, I feel like there's a massive amount of opportunity right now in home improvements with private equity um, and with, you uh, you know, I guess the opportunity that has, has, has come in place, um, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's sold companies and things like this, um, or sold a company, um, and have gone through that experience. Um, what is something that, that, that I would say that you would recommend for a home improvement company that's thinking of exiting, what should they do beforehand? You know, is it their finances? Um, you know, is it, is it their team? What should they think about before they, they want to exit that company. Yeah, so I'll kind of give you a before and at, or before and then when you're going through it. I mean, bookkeeping is number one, right? You can't you can't sell a company without clean books. If you do sell a company without clean books, you're you're risking a lawsuit and a lot of arguments down the line. So hire a bookkeeper from day one. To me, if I'm starting a business, I'm hiring a bookkeeper. One of the best decisions I ever made after not really doing bookkeeping well on my Amazon business when we started free up. We hired a bookkeeper on the first day and he was with us for four years. He's still with them now. And when we went to sell free up, we had four years of immaculate books going back to the first day. And that helped us pass due diligence and due diligence was long. It was six months and that's even with clean books. I can't imagine going through that without clean books. So got to have finances in order. If you don't have clean books now, start right away in a few months when you're caught up, you're going to be happy you did. Um, that's a, a gigantic part of it. Next is just processes and we teach a lot of that at Outdoor School, how to create really good SOPs. Um, I'm still talking about my dog's whack in the door. Um, how to create really good SOPs 
that really break down how you do things in every situation. When we went to self free up, we had 50 pages of documents saying, Hey, when someone asks this question on a sales call, this is what we tell them. When someone has this customer service issue, this is how we handle it. This is how we build people. All of that really, really broken down. And the last thing is just different marketing channels. So we have an organic blueprint at Outsource School that we do all with virtual assistants. If you go to outsourceschool.com slash organic marketing, and it's a combination of SEO and partnerships and getting on podcasts and doing outbound lead generation and all these different things because you don't want all your, your clients coming from one place. If you're just relying on Facebook ads and Facebook changes one thing, you're going to find yourself in a tough spot and you're going to get a higher valuation if they can see that you're getting customers from a lot of different ways and that you're not just dependent on one sales channel. So that's kind of my trifecta that business owners should be focused on. It's bookkeeping, it's processes, it's having more, more than one way to get clients. But when you go to sell these companies, especially when you're selling to private equity, you want to sell it to really good people. We did uh, a lot of, we spent a lot of time vetting the people that bought us and we couldn't be happier because we didn't want to end up in a lawsuit down the line or arguing with them for years. We wanted to sell it to good people who are keep our reputation intact and take care of our team, take care of our clients, obviously pay us every penny that they owed us. And when you're dealing with a lot of these private equities too, they're doing a lot of earnouts. Maybe you get 50% upfront or 30% upfront and the rest is earnouts. You got to treat the earnouts as a bonus. There's no guarantee that you're getting that money. They might buy your business and run into the ground and especially if your earnouts are dependent on your business growing, then you're depending on them to not only take over your business, but expand your business. That's a very risky position to be. So make sure you really think through that earnout and that you're, you're thinking of the earnout as a bonus that you might not get. We were fortunate enough to, to get ours, but that's some of the best advice that, that I got before the sale. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's, there's a lot of experience or there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from a lot of the software exits and different things like that, I believe in home improvements because at the at the at the foundation level, it's a service business, right? I mean, people give you money and you have to deliver a service. And a lot of times ongoing, um, you know, if you're HVAC or plumbing or garage doors, there's you know, there's reoccurring services. And I feel like would you think that it's pretty similar, right? In terms of I mean, it's a service business, you know, whether you're serving them with, you know accounting or you're serving them with, you know, an HVAC service. It's a little bit different, obviously, but um, it's, does private equity look at it very similar, you know, where it's a service business in general? I mean, I can't speak for private equity, but I stuff like, like take HVAC, for example, HVAC was here 30 years ago. It's still going to be here in 30 years. Like a lot of times when you're dealing with a SaaS, for example, let's say it's a SaaS that handles Facebook ads, just because we keep talking about that. Who knows? That could go out of business in three years when Facebook changes something. And a mm -hmm. lot of the Amazon software out there has kind of run into that where Amazon's changing algorithms or, or whatever. So to me, if I was uh, if I was a, a private equity, which I'm not, I would look at like the safety of a business. When, when I start a business, I look for big markets. Hiring is a big market with free up. If you're an entrepreneur, you need to hire. Um, bookkeeping is a big market. If you're an entrepreneur, you got to do bookkeeping, whether you like it or not. So um, that's kind of what I look for. And it's the same thing if you own a house. If you own a house, you better take care of your plumbing. You better take care of your HVAC. You better um, do all that stuff. And um, I mean, I'm a homeowner. I just finished my basement. I was telling you before. So I've kind of gone through all that stuff. And no matter what, you have to handle it. So to me, it's a little safer than, than some of the services out there that, that might not exist in five years. How was the experience with the contractor? Was it was it good or would you recommend anything they could do better? 
Dude, I have been, I've been brainstorming on a post that I was going to make <laughs> about this. So here's my experience. I, I found someone who is like up and coming and hungry and great customer service, great communication. He did a very poor job estimating the project. And I agreed to a fixed price with him and I had a baby due. So I said, he, he asked for eight weeks. I said, I'll give you 16 weeks. But every week that you're late, I get 1% back after that 16 weeks. And he agreed to it and he underpriced the whole project. So we, it was super stressful for him. I, I'm very happy with the basement. Uh, I got a really good deal in the basement. I, was, I told him, I'm like, I'm not trying to screw you over. If you're not good with the estimate, tell me. I did my best to kind of help him out. But I ended up getting a really nice basement at a good price. And he had a, a few leftover things that... Um, like we ordered this glass wall for my gym and there was a delay on the manufacturer's end and he got everything else done. So I could have been a jerk and charged him the 1%, but I was like, you know what? You've been great. And it all worked out and he'll take pictures of it and use it for marketing. And I think it'll all work out long-term, but that was kind of my experience just, I, I, but I noticed that like, the, the whole showing up on time thing, that was tough. Uh, the whole like giving even time estimates to be like, hey, yeah, I'll get this done in two weeks and that would take four weeks. And he told me eight weeks and by 16, we were, he was scrambling at the end to get it done. So that was kind of my experience and um, what I went through. It's almost like, uh, well, not broken promises, but it's almost like maybe setting the right expectations would help or because he communicated great, but it sounds like he was always kind of behind the eight ball um, to your expectation of what he said though. I mean, what he's, what he said, um, yeah. interesting, which is pretty it, common. Very common. Even stuff like we had to get under the concrete and he assumed that it would be the easy, what the plumbing that he would find under the concrete would be the easiest situation. And that's what he quoted me when me as a business owner, I'm like, why would you do that? I would expect the worst. And then I can always like credit the client back or, um, what's another example, the, the, the electric, he didn't get an electrician to go down there and actually look at what needed to be done ahead of time. Instead, he just did it based on his past experience, but mm -hmm. I have a pretty big house and there was a lot of work that needed to be done. So he tried to come back to me and say, Hey, we need to increase the electric costs. And I pointed to our contract that clearly laid out the fixed price and what it included. And, and, and that was that. So, um, I think it was a, definitely a learning lesson for him. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's actually good information. Um, curious, uh, in terms of outsource school, um, why do you prefer to hire from the Philippines? Yeah, good question. So first of all, as an entrepreneur, what you don't want to do is go out and hire like two people from India, two people from Pakistan, two people from the Philippines. And especially if you've never hired before, that's going to be chaos for you. It's different cultures, different communication styles, different expectations, different time zones. You're creating a lot of work on your plate. So you want to focus on one place. And when you truly master that one place, if you want to branch out, go for it. And there's great people all over the world. I like working with people in the Philippines because they speak English at a high level. They're used to working U.S. times or U.S. overlaps. They have a, a culture of family, which I like to build in my business. And yeah, like family that. is, yeah, family is one of the best ways to uh, reduce turnover. Um, and they, I just now at this point for me personally, I've just built a lot of relationships with people in the Philippines, and I've been over there, and, and I just have this gigantic network of people that follow me. I think I have some kids in the Philippines uh, named after me. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that to me, and if you go to outsource school and you, you end up by uh, grabbing, like we have a free trial on the site, we have a video like hiring from the Philippines 101 and it kind of walks through that and much more. There's a whole education component and it's just a great starting point for entrepreneurs. Um, and it kind of lowers that, that learning curve. Yeah. And the learning curve, one of the cool things that I think that you, that you talk about is the art of delegation and 
what's really cool is you can learn that if you hire an assistant or if you hire somebody from the Philippines, you can, well, you're required to actually be pretty good at that of SOPs and systems and, you know, and delegation for that to work well, because there's a culture difference, language difference, you know, a little bit sometimes. And so you have to kind of, you know, do a good job at that. Sometimes here in the States, obviously like, oh, it's like, hey, Bob's here, or, you know, Juan's here and I can just talk at Juan and then he will figure it out. And sometimes they're, you know, they can, they can't. And hey, it worked out. Sometimes it didn't work out. It's a little bit different. Um, but you have to be really good at documenting things. And, and you speak about that a lot, but, um, I want to kind of talk about that in the form of like delegating and the importance of delegating for entrepreneurs. Um, and maybe specifically for home improvement business owners, like why would delegating be important for them? Yeah. I mean, the truth is you won't scale if you don't delegate, like there's very few seven figure entrepreneurs out there, or even half a million dollar a year entrepreneurs out there that don't hire. You're eventually going to burn yourself out. You're eventually going to run out of time in the day and you're never going to hire people at the exact right moment that you're going to hire people. You, you're either going to hire people too early or, or too late and hiring people too late is a pain. There's not only an opportunity cost, but it's stressful. It's extra work. There's a lot of pressure uh, depending on those hires going well hiring early gives you room to make mistakes and plan ahead and and really learn from the experience and get better at it and to me hiring is the the number one skill that entrepreneurs need to master like if if you're if you're good at hiring you don't need to master ppc and sales and building websites and all these different things that people try to take lots of courses on and master if you learn how to hire then that becomes a powerful tool. Whenever you need something, you have a, a solution. And, and that, that's mm -hmm. what becomes scalable. And eventually, if we're talking about exiting, no one's going to buy a business that's completely dependent on you. Uh, with FreeUp, I was out of the operations. Like We had a customer service team. We had a sales team. I did podcasts and I was the face and whatever, but that's easy to replace. Someone can come in with a different marketing plan and, and a different marketing person. What they want to see is that the whole business doesn't depend on you. And, and hiring VAs, even if you're not going to hire a VA to, to do the actual plumbing or HVAC, they can book you appointments. They can get you on podcasts. They can manage your customer service. They can write blog articles and rank you high for, for local SEO. There, there's so much that they can do outside of the one thing that you need a U.S. in-person person for. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, with delegating, um, when you delegate, uh, let's say that it's Monday and you delegate some stuff to somebody. Um, when should you delegate more to that person? Yeah. So let me kind of backtrack on that. So there, there's three different types of people that, that you should hire and each one you treat a little bit differently. So there's followers, there's doers, and there's experts. So followers are what I consider virtual assistants, five to 10 bucks an hour, usually non-US. I like to hire from the Philippines. They might have years of experience. Let's say I hire someone for customer service. I'm not hiring a newbie that's never done customer service before. I'm hiring someone with five years of experience, but I'm teaching them my SOP, how I want customer service done at my company. I'm not going to hire a follower and say, hey, go, go handle my emails and not train them how I want it done. Then you've got the doers. They're like the, the, the freelancers. They usually do the same thing eight, 10 hours a day, graphic design, website building, writing, whatever it is. And unless you're running like a video agency and you're hiring a lot of video editors, you're usually hiring them uh, project-based. And the beauty of the, the doers is you can build a Rolodex of reliable doers. I've got three or four writers, three or four video editors, three or four graphic designers. Every time a project comes up, I don't post a job and start interviewing people. I have these great people already ready to go. 
Um, and I, and I refer them a lot to my outsource goal community because I don't care. I'm not using them full time. They're just there for projects. Um, and they're transferable from business to business. A lot of these people I work with at free up and they do different projects for, for all my different businesses. And then you've got the experts, the, the high level, um, they, maybe they, they're PPC experts and they come in and they run ads for you. They got their own processes, their own systems. They can consult, they can collaborate, but you can't take a course on how to do everything. So at some point you got to hire experts to, to come in and hit the ground running. So when, if we're talking about the, the followers, which are the VAs, I like to keep them very focused. If I hire a customer service person, I want them to master customer service and start and keep crushing customer service. I try not to be like, oh, you've got an extra five hours. I'm going to also teach you how to do lead generation. Also, like right. how to play, you'll see yeah. that their skill or their, their quality of work starts to, to go down over time. Now the doers, um, a lot, mostly that's milestones and due dates. If I hire someone to build a website for me, I'm not going to say, Hey, build a 25 page website and let me know when you're done. I'm going to say, Hey, build two pages, show it to me, take my feedback, show me that you can actually adjust my feedback and then do another two pages. So for that, you're usually giving them projects once they're done with the last project until they've proven that they can handle multiple projects in the same time. And then same thing with, with PPC just depend or the expert, depending on whether it's an agency or an individual person, you want to be very careful not to, to overwhelm them and keep them focused on the, the highest priority thing. Yeah, I love that. It's very insightful. Uh, and, 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 and it sounds like you're talking from experience, you know, you're not just guessing about this. So it's kind of, you know, it's not like your first time talking about this, you know, I imagine. But. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, uh, what do you think there's, is the most common mistakes in hiring right now? Yeah. So we break down hiring and outsource school into interviewing, onboarding, training and managing. And I'll kind of give you the the key, the biggest mistake for each one. For for interviewing, people just interview for skill. They find someone with five years of customer service experience and they hire them, but they don't focus on the attitude and the communication. And that's what we teach you at Outsource School is what questions can you ask to, um, to figure out, does this person have the right attitude for your company and will they be able to communicate with you? Because unless you have that trifecta of skill, attitude, and communication, you're always going to run into issues uh, with whoever you hire. Um, for for onboarding, it's all about setting expectations. And this is where most entrepreneurs uh, go wrong. They hire someone, they get them started on the work. There needs to be an in-between. We call it our, our sick method, where we go through schedule issues, communication, and culture, and we set the expectations of what they're getting into it. And I use the word scare, even though it's probably not the right word, but we want to scare people before they get started. We don't want them to get started unless they're 100% sure they're the right fit. If they're having doubts, that's fine. Go get another job somewhere else. I'd rather learn that before I start paying you, before I start investing time, energy, and, and money into you. Um, for, for training them, it's kind of like what I said about the, the website. You don't want to get too far. You want to have them prove to you that they can master small things before and, and handle feedback and, and adjust to it before just, you don't want to spend 10 hours training someone and then realize they're not good at what they do. You want to figure that out in hours one, two, and three. Um, and then for, for managing, it's all about keeping people around. Turnover is an absolute killer. It will destroy your business. It'll cost you money, stress, hold you back, set you back, all of that. And you can't compete with people on money. There's always another company that can pay uh, people more money than you can. So then it comes down to uh, what we call our, our BARF method, which is kind of a funny acronym, um, but it's getting them to believe in your company, showing them appreciation, 
building a relationship with them and building a family within your business. And that's what we teach you how to do in outsource school. And it's so easy. It's not hard. It can easily be plugged into your weekly routine. Uh, but that's the thing that keeps people in your company. Um, and, and is going to help you. Like I had the same team at free up for four years and, and they're still with free up today because you, you really, uh, you do those same things every single week. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the, I'm, you know, I'm curious about the people that, um, well, you know, I think that you understand hiring in general, right? It's, it's not even just hiring VAs or overseas. Like it's, it's just like good concepts of hiring people and like getting people onboarded, which I love that. Um, do you think outsource school would be good for somebody if, even if they weren't trying to hire, you know, an overseas team member, like just even if they're trying to hire people, good people in general? Yeah. I mean, we, we actually have a lot of people and I didn't know this when we started outsource school, but people that would take it and they would just use it for the U S team. And sure there's some small tweaks you make in the process, but I firmly believe that the hiring process works. If you're hiring from the Philippines, if you're hiring from India, the U S uh, Australia, wherever you're hiring from the, the, the concepts are still the same. You want people with skill, attitude and communication. You want to set good expectations. You want to train them properly and you want to keep them around. And, and that stuff doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, are you okay if we talk about SEO for a second? Uh, yes, but I will say the caveat that I am not the SEO guy. Uh, my business <laughs> partner is. Well, there's been a lot of noise too about SEO in, in, in concrete coatings or in painting. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of marketing companies that are people in general that, you know, don't have no idea about SEO, you know, at all. Right. Uh, and I've, and I've seen you talk about SEO a lot, um, on, on social media. Right. And, and, and. What I'm curious about is how um, do you guys feel that SEO is, you know, is, is it only blogs or is there more to the story when it comes to SEO? There's definitely more to the story. Our core is blogs. So we're, we, our mentality is no matter what hacks there are, no matter what AI does, if you're, if you're not trying to cheat the system and you're focused on long-term and you're pumping out high quality, useful content, we're doing keyword research ahead of time, that long-term, that's a great backbone for any business that you run. And it helps us be everywhere. If people search e-commerce bookkeeping, we haven't been in business that long. We're right there on the first page because we pump out very high quality content. And there's people that will master AI and put out high quality content that way. We use AI more for, for research. And there's, there's also a race to the bottom of people that use AI incorrectly and pump out pretty garbage content that we have no problem competing on. And sure, things will change. You'll make tweaks and adjustments, but we're not interested in hacks, shortcuts. We're interested in a long-term play to be everywhere. But then you do other things. We have a partnership program, which we teach you how to do with VAs and outsource school. So that helps us get backlinks on all our partners' websites um, and have our own partner directories of other people's links. I go on podcasts. This is a Facebook Live, but a lot of podcasts that gets you a, a link to their site and helps you will rank on Google if they post it on, on YouTube. Um, there, there, there's lots of different SEO strategies that we're constantly doing to get in different places and get in different communities and rank high on Google. But the backbone of it is the high quality blog articles. Yeah. And yeah, I love that, man. Um, what's interesting is, um, you know, I feel like back in the day, right? Like, and we don't have to dive too much into SEO, but. Um, you know, things like, um, technical website optimization, right. Or on, on page optimization, um, citation management, um, 
positive search rankings or um, things of this nature or, you know, or, you know, the pillar page, you know, optimization. And, and, um, and I've heard a couple of different people that are really good at SEO. And I feel like, you know, I know your partner is really, really experienced with SEO from what I can see. And you guys talk about high quality articles more than anybody. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Um, around, there's a lot of SEO companies for home improvement. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a lot of home improvement companies are kind of sick and tired of SEO companies doing SEO and then not seeing any results. Um, what's your guys' strategy with the SEO kind of thing that you guys are doing right now? What's the, so, what's the plan? Yeah. I mean, this is, so it's Trio SEO or yeah. Trio SEO.com is our website and you can apply there if you're interested, but kind of our mentality is like, I, I think a lot of people they'll, they'll start an SEO agency because they've taken some courses and stuff. Like this is SEO we've done for our own businesses. We've never offered SEO on a service. We've done it to generate millions of dollars for our own companies for years. And we're, we wouldn't do anything to your blog that we wouldn't do for, for our blog. So the, the other side of it is, and this goes for all of our businesses, we don't take on clients unless we think we'll do a good job. Like we'll have a bookkeeping client. Someone tried to be a client of ours today and nice guy, nothing against him. It just wasn't the right fit for our bookkeeping service. And the same thing for Trio SEO. We're going to do an audit on, our, on your site after you um, apply on our site. And we'll, we're going to be honest with you. Hey, this is your potential. This is what we're seeing. This is what we think we can do. Or sorry, this isn't a fit for X, Y, Z reason. So not that not that we can guarantee the world or, or anything like that, but we want to be as straightforward as possible. If it was our business, this is the potential that we would see in SEO and everything that we would do for your blog is stuff that we've done for, for our own business. So that's kind of our, our overall mentality. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that pretty much everything that you guys do is from experience, you know, and it's not from idea that, you know, only from idea uh, it's, you know, it's from experience uh, and you guys kind of like walk the walk first before you guys talk the talk, which I love that about, uh, it's Connor, you said? Yep, Connor Gillivan. If you guys follow him on LinkedIn, he's uh, the SEO go-to. He's the SEO go-to. On LinkedIn, hit him up. Uh, you know, we can probably come back through, you know, and pop to LinkedIn. But um, so kind of coming towards a conclusion here a little bit, but um, I feel like I could ask you so many different things. Um, you know, I love having people on that are, uh, you know, are not one dimensional, you know, um, like you've got the it factor, you know, a I grew up playing football, right? And uh, my coach has always told me, you know, I played peewee, you know, tackle football, like five years old or what have you. And I had one coach tell me, you know, he goes, look, Ryan, people in this world just have the it factor. It's just, you know, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what your mom says. I don't care what your dad says. Some people have the it factor and they just got it. And I think that you have it, whatever that, that, that it is. Uh, I think you have it. So I kind of like kind of hearing how you think about things, but I appreciate um, that. Yeah. Um, what are some tips for understanding your business financials better? Uh, I, you know, I think that, uh, financials are important, you know, uh, you know, you know, in a home improvement company. And I feel like what I've seen, um, is a lot of contractors and home improvement business owners have zero clue what's going on with their financials. I mean, zero clue. There's no forecasting. There's, you know, they're, you know, they're making decisions without knowing if that's even going to be, you know, allowed, you know, like with the rules and their financing. Um, how do, how does somebody that's like kind of clueless, you know, even if they're doing a million dollars a year, but kind of clueless about the finances, where do they get started with, with, you know, with all of that stuff? 
So the best thing to do is have a monthly finance meeting that's on your calendar every single month. And you don't miss that for any reason. When you're making decisions for your business, you're not doing it based off gut. You're not doing it based on looking at your bank account or instinct or anything like that. Um, you're doing it based on what the numbers are telling you. The meetings on your calendar between the 15th and the 20th, you're getting your books from your bookkeeper on time every single month between the 10th and the 15th. And then you sit down with your business partner, your team leader, whoever should be at that meeting. And you're looking at this month compared to last month and this month to the same month last year. And you're looking at trends. You're looking at, hey, is my margin going up and down? What's going on with sales? What's going on with payroll? You're going line by line um, and saying, hey, can we cut these expenses? Can we pay for this yearly and save some money? That's where you make all the decisions in your business. And if you go to accountsbalance.com slash agenda, you can actually get the, the agenda of our finance meeting that we've been running for six plus years now. And again, when I started my Amazon business, I was young. I had no idea what I was doing as an entrepreneur, especially when it came to bookkeeping. And with FreeUp, that's really when we stepped it up. We were like, we need a bookkeeper. We get reports on time every month. We sit down, we meet, we make decisions based on what the numbers are telling us. And even if you forget about the sale and getting investments and getting funding, because most people never do that, the, the biggest, the best part about bookkeeping is decision-making. That's what's going to move the needle the most. And that's why that monthly finance meeting is so important. So you're saying that business owners should not just kind of like make financial decisions kind of with emotion. Never. <laughs> so we should kind of look at the actual PL. Like well, it sounds simple. Most people don't do that. <laughs> well, you know, is it is it is it possible to make quality decisions, good decisions for your business by looking at the PL? Like, like is that possible, you think? Absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. There's an uh, there's an element of brainstorming. Like my business partner comes over run, once a week. We throw a football around and we just throw ideas back and forth. Like there's a time and a place for all of that. But before we hire someone, before we um, open up a new service, whatever it is, we're all, it always comes down to the financials, and we wait until those meetings to actually finalize any decisions. So I I get it. People listening, their gut has probably led them to success, and and all that's great. But I promise you, if you if you involve that monthly finance meeting, it's only going to improve on that. It's not going to necessarily revamp all of that. And there's no need to do it weekly, right? Just monthly, you're saying? Monthly. Weekly is tough. Most businesses don't need to do it weekly. Now, there are things you can track weekly. Like you, we get a, a weekly cash report. We get a weekly sales report. And, and that gives you a good insight, but I still wouldn't make decisions without looking at the full monthly picture. Okay. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, okay. So last question here um, is... This is a good one, by the way. You know, I like this one a lot, uh, Nathan. Um, what is your worst moment as an entrepreneur? And I don't want to end the podcast maybe with that question, but you know, I think there's a lot of lessons in in uh, the failures in life, right? Um, what is the worst the worst moment for you? Yeah, man, I've gotten a lot. Uh, so some small ones, like with FreeUp, someone tried to hack us and they uh, they they set up a bot that would create a new customer sign up every five seconds. And it was just going and going and going and going. So we had to stop everything that we were doing and just deal with that. Um, with the Amazon business, when Amazon um, took off at, or when Amazon selling took off and we were kind of left in the dust, we had to lay off a lot of people. That sucked. Um, but one of the biggest ones that kind of happened early on in the Amazon days I, I was kind of on top of the world. I had this one supplier I was crushing it with. I had this one manager who I had trained to do everything, a college kid. And I go on vacation. And on the first day of my vacation, my supplier drops me. So everything I've worked for is gone. My manager of the day quits on me because his mom wants him to focus on school, learn a lesson about hiring college kids. And just to top it off, I get a call from my accountant 
saying that someone filed a fake tax return in my name and stole $40,000 from the government. So I went wow. from like this unbelievable high to this low, but I learned a very valuable lesson about diversifying and not having one supplier or one business or one revenue stream um, and about even hiring diversifying. I don't tra hire one person or train to do everything. I have a customer service person, a salesperson, whatever. And if that person quits, it's, it's not as big of a deal to replace them. And luckily the, the, tax thing ended up not being that big of a deal, just a lot of paperwork. And I have a pin number that I use even to this day. To <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that was kind of my, my big uh, crushing moment as a young entrepreneur. Man. Interesting. Um, okay. So we'll end with this one instead of the negative, but um, what is the best and you know, like um, the best advice that you've ever received, you know, as an you know, entrepreneur, the best advice. Yeah. Best advice I've ever received. I, I kind of lead to those exit ones that I kind of mentioned of just selling it to good people and, and all the stuff there. Um, I'm a big proponent of just low risk, high rewards. So I forget who told me that early on, but like I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't consider myself a big risk taker. Like with everything we do with free up, we started with five grand. If we, if it didn't work, it didn't work. We move on to the next thing. Even, even to this day after our exit, I'm never taking like quarter million dollars and throwing it into a company. I'm saying, Hey, what is it? What is a minimum viable product that I can get out there? How much will it take to prove the concept? And I'm not going to go with something because I personally like it. I'm going to let the market declare itself. If, if I opened up outsource school and everyone hated it, I would have just refunded everyone and moved on to the next thing. And if I opened up a bookkeeping business and I gave away some free months and I couldn't land any customers, boom, on to the next thing. So for me, it's all about low risk, high reward. And I feel like a lot of people, they build and they build and they build, but they don't actually prove they can sell it. They just invest so much time, so much money, and then they get out there and they realize there's not even a market for what they poured so much time and money into. Yeah. Kevin O'Leary um, talks about, uh, I think it's three years. He says, if it's, if it's not profitable by, by year three, then it's, it's not a business, you know, which is interesting because I mean, if you look at Andy Priscilla, he didn't make any money until seven years, but so it's not a black and white thing, but it's, it's never black and white, but for every person that doesn't make money for nine years and then blows up, <laughs> there's a thousand other people that waste nine years and never make any money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, it, you know, it's the odds of, you know, and the rules, if you will. Um, okay. I love that, man. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience before we, uh, kind of wrap it up and get going? No, if people like this content, connect with me on LinkedIn, Nathan Hirsch. Uh, if you go to outsourceschool.com slash organic marketing, you can grab our organic marketing uh, blueprint there. We actually have a, a podcast outreach formula that's on sale today randomly, if anyone wants to check that out. Um, and accountsbalance.com slash agenda, uh, you can grab our monthly finance agenda that we uh, use every month. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, man, for, for jumping on. I appreciate your time. And uh if you guys want to hit up Nathan, um, what's the best place to hit you up? Is it Facebook or Instagram or? Yeah, I'm, I'm on all social media channels. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, also, I mentioned uh, Trio SEO. If anyone's looking for to chat with me about SEO and you can book a call with me uh, right on the site. Love it. All right, man. Thank you guys so much. Have an amazing week and uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you then. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.